Sweet. So, uh, yeah. Hey, we've been doing this. Last week, I got into, some of you guys weren't here, but we got, we got into, I wanted to just do, since we had finished up the New Testament, um, a series on discipleship, because along with some of the church leadership, we've actually been meeting over the last year at different times, discussing discipleship, discussing what a disciple is, and how we can be on the same page to be a disciple-making church. And so some of these pictures are beginning just clearer and clearer. And last week, um, we talked about the pathway of discipleship. And I told you about how when I was a young pastor, I was like, I didn't know how to help people. Like, and I was praying, Lord, Lord, help, help me learn how to give people some framework. And what do I help build into people's lives? And, and so in the scripture, we see this. And this is what we looked at last week, that there is a pathway of discipleship. And on, on that pathway, in, in the word of God, you can see stages of spiritual growth that mirror the physical realm. Are these guys with me in the back? No. Go to the second one, Calvin. There we go. There we go. Okay, now you're on track. There are stages of spiritual growth. And so last week we talked about this, okay? So if you weren't here Last week, I'd encourage you, you could go on the church website and have a listen or whatever, but we, we talked about these stages of spiritual growth that in, in the scripture, you can see um, descriptions of those who are infants, who are, are spiritual babies. They're, they're Christians, but there's a need for growth in their life. You see pictures of those who are growing. In the word of God, we see pictures of disciples that are maturing. We see that of what Jesus said, the, the, the harvest is plentiful, but there's a need for laborers. There's a need for harvest workers. And so he called his disciples to become harvest workers. And there's the picture of, of those who don't know Jesus yet, non-Christians in the scripture. So there's stages of spiritual growth in it. It mirrors the physical world. And the spiritual world is true reality. And so... What we saw is this, is that in the scripture from Hebrews chapter 5, it tells us this, that growth, that spiritual growth is both normal and it's expected. And when there isn't spiritual growth, that's actually problematic. And the scripture says, you need to go back to the milk. You need to go feed on milk again. And so we talked, we, we recognize a couple things, just a few things. I'm just going to summarize quick. Number one, there's stages of spiritual growth. Number two, that that's normal and it's expected that you would grow. That when you come into the kingdom of God, you've, uh, the, the, you've crossed the starting line, not a finish line. You entered the race, not finished the race when you come into the kingdom of God and you're born again. And, and the third thing is this, is we looked at what a disciple is. That a disciple is a follower or a learner, an apprentice of Jesus uh, an apprentice of Jesus. And so for that reason, I would say this, we want to have a clear picture as a church, as a leader for your own lives, for the people you're investing in, for your children, for your coworkers. You want to have a clear picture of what a disciple is. And so, you know, one of the things I look for, I, I like, I love coaching. You guys know I coach hockey. So I like love coaching. I like breaking down skills and like looking at Hey, what's the fundamental skill to stick handling? And how do I help a kid develop that so that he becomes? And so in discipleship, it's the, the same principles are true. You, you, need, you need structure. You need definition. You need help and support and growth so that you can grow in Jesus as you learn to follow him. And definition and structure 
is helpful for our spiritual lives. Um, and so what I would say is this. When we make disciples, I'm looking for definition and structure. I'm looking for things that I can pass on to people. Does that make sense? Um, you know, I remember, like I said, when I was a young pastor, I felt like I was always stumbling in the dark. Do you ever feel like that when you were growing in Jesus? You know what? Nobody ever sat me down and said, here's how you have a quiet time. You know, I grew up in church. I knew you should read the Bible. I knew you should pray. I knew you should go to church. I knew you, you should share your faith with, but nobody busted down and broke down some of those skills of following Jesus. And, and so I just, you know, went on the journey trying to figure it out with, with some help, but I would say with not a lot of help. And I think, wow, what if we had the skills to come alongside of someone and say, look at this is what a quiet time looks like. Look at this is when you read the word of God, what should be happening for you. This is, here's some structure to your, your prayer life. And growing from spiritual infancy to maturity could be sped up with a little bit of help. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to like get a bit of a look at the picture of a disciple. And the illustration that I like is the illustration of a wheel. You got a little handout? Did you get a little handout? Did everybody get it? Did anybody not get one? If you didn't get one, Ken's going to bring you one. No, you got one. Okay, great. What we're going to do is take it. You're going to, so you can set that aside for now. But we're going to just take a look at the picture of a disciple. And the illustration that I love is the illustration of the wheel. Um, because it helps form some definition and some structure with regards to what it is to be a disciple. And what, is, what, are, we, what are we looking to build into our lives and to other people's lives? And, and definition is important because it brings meaning. It brings like interpretation clarity. We need definition to help us understanding what does it mean to be a disciple. But, you know, because when I think about discipleship, there's like something simple about it. Jesus said, follow me. That's pretty simple. But then there's something that's complex about it, you know, and, and I go, well, how do, how do I do that? What does that look like? How do I help someone else do that? So I need structure, like structure helps with the arrangement and the relationships of things in my, in my life. And so this kind of picture helps us with that. And so, you know, I would say this, discipleship's like constructing a house almost. Like building a house with foundation and walls and floors and windows and doors and a roof and the whole thing. Or, or you could say this, that the discipleship's like this picture of, of a wheel. And I like the structure of a wheel. A wheel has like clear structure to it. If you look at like the wheel of a car, or the wheel of a bicycle, and I see three components that are like important. First of all, there's the hub. The hub, that's the pivot point. That's like the center, the center of the wheel. That's the axis from which everything rotates. It's the source of power. From it radiates the spokes. So you got the hub and then you got the spokes and the spokes are integral. Like to a wheel, spokes are integral because a wheel, the outer rim of a wheel and the hub are attached by the spokes. And um, not only do they hold the wheel together, the spokes, but they do this, they transfer power. They move power from the hub to the outer rim of a wheel. And spiritually, that's like important. Because there's an inner life spiritually and there's an outer life. There's an inner life that only Jesus knows about. He knows my heart. And there's an outer life that everybody else sees. And spokes are 
important because they attach the inner and the outer. And the second job of a spoke, so the first job is this, they attach the inner and the outer, but the second job of a spoke is this, that they transfer power. They move power because on a wheel, the power, the driving force comes, comes from the hub. And power moves from the inner to the outer, and the power moves through the spokes. But then the third component, so you get the hub, you get the spokes, and the third component of a wheel is this, the rim, and that's or the outer edge of the, of the wheel. And the rim is this, it's the point of contact. That's what I was thinking. It's where the rubber meets the road. Like in the Christian life, this is where the rubber meets the road, where you like can get some grip and some traction. That's the outer edge of the rim. And these are the three components of a wheel, the hub, the spokes, and the outer rim. And together they make this comprehensive whole, and together they're actually a really good illustration of the life of discipleship. So actually, what I've, what I've sought to do over the years is this, is that when I sit with someone, when I have coffee, I'm like, this is the framework I'm thinking all the time. I'm looking for these characteristics in someone's life, and I'm going, how can I help? How can I help? Where can I help establish this. And so we're going to break it down a little bit and just uh, look at this wheel. I also call it the picture of discipleship or six characteristics of a disciple. And they're, they're good because this is helpful because it illustrates the three um, relational components to a Christian's life, to a disciple's life. See, there's, there's three relationships that you have. You have a relationship with yourself, with your will, your inner desires, your, your inner choices, the things that you determine, the things, it's the voluntary life, your volition, your human um, faculty of power to seek your desires and to pursue your choice. So you have like an inner life and your inner life matters as a follower of Jesus. But then you have your relationship with God. That's the horizontal life, the, the connection and communication that you have with God where you get to know him and you get to discover that he already knows you. And then you have your relationship to others, relationship to believers and, and those who don't know Jesus, non-believers, and those who have entered into the life of discipleship and those who have yet to enter into that life and don't know Jesus. And so, as a disciple, I, I want to learn about the relationship that my heart is to have with the Lord. I want to learn about my relationship that I'm to have with God. I want to learn about my relationship that I'm to have with people. See, Jesus said the greatest command is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. So the life of discipleship involves loving God and, and loving people. And so let's talk, about, let's talk about these. Cal, can you go to the next one? I want to talk about this. I just, yeah, it's called the voluntary dimension. Because though it's commanded, we're going to get to the scripture here in a little bit, and you'll see all this. It'll make sense. Though it's commanded that Jesus is to be the center of my life, though it's commanded in the scripture that I'm to obey Jesus, I just personally find that it's kind of hard to make Jesus the center of my life. I personally find that it's kind of hard to be obedient to Jesus. And so what has to happen is this, is that I have to voluntarily enter into this relationship with Jesus to surrender, to, to obey. 
And here's the first thing that I would say we often fail to grasp. It's this, that, that if Christ has set you free, the scripture says you are free indeed. You're free. As a follower of Jesus, you know freedom that others in this world do not know. But in discovering who Jesus is, that he's Lord, that he's God, in discovering his character, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his patience, his goodness, his gentleness, his grace, I discover, as I discover who he is, I, I make an active choice in my life, and the choice is this, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to offer myself to you. I'm going to obey you, Jesus. And that happens through a decision. It's a voluntary choice. That's why it's called the voluntary dimension. It's a voluntary choice of my will. And it has to do with the hub, and it has to do with the rim. The inner and the outer part, the something unseen and something that is seen. And so voluntarily, I choose of my will to follow Jesus, and I do two things. Number one, I make Christ the center. Jesus is the center. I make Jesus the hub. Jesus is the center of my life as a disciple, and because Jesus is the center, I choose a life of obedience to Christ. That's the outer rim. Obedience to Jesus. Voluntary obedience to Jesus says, Jesus, I allow you to shape my character. Jesus, you form my values. Jesus, you're the Lord of my relationships. Jesus, you rule over my sexuality. Jesus, you rule over my work. You rule over my spending habits, over my parenting, over my marriage. Jesus, you, I'm, I want to be obedient to you. I voluntarily choose to be obedient to Jesus. And so being a disciple, we talked about this last week, that being a disciple is not one day this aim that you're going to like arrive. Oh, reach this plateau. Hit, break the sound barrier as I called it last week. No, following Jesus means that voluntarily I choose to make Jesus the center of my life and I'll be obedient to him and that's a choice that has to be made every day. It's not one day I arrive, it's every day I have to die. Every day I got to die to Jesus. And to me, because of that, the voluntary dimension of Jesus being the center of my life and me being obedient to him is exciting and it's terrifying. Do you ever find that? It's like, you want me to die? I got to set aside my will and my desires. And that's like frightening and it's challenging because it's a choice of my will. So we'll, we'll look at this a little bit more in a second. But the second, second component of a disciple's relationship with God is, is the vertical. And there's two spokes which form our relationship with God. You can go to the next one. The word of God and prayer. They're vertical spokes. The next relationship that I have as a disciple is with those around me. It's the horizontal dimension and there's two spokes through which we form our relationship with others. Through fellowship and through witnessing. And so what I want to do just this morning is I'm going to just take a bit of a, a deep dive on each one of these real quick, okay? Well, as much as, much as we can. We'll see how far we get. We might not get through it all this morning. So let's, talk, let's just go back again to the, to the next one, Calvin. And we'll talk about Christ the center of our lives. Go one more. And uh, it says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, about Jesus, the center of your lives. Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brothers, 
in view of God's mercy, that you offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul said, offer yourselves. That's something that has to happen voluntarily. I have to like make a choice of my will. I'm going to offer myself to the Lord. And making Jesus central in your life is an act of, will, of your will. Giving Jesus the place of true lordship in your life, is a, it's an act of your will. It's a decision that you have to make daily. It's like marriage, you know, like for those of you who are married, you know you've made a choice to love your spouse. I've made a choice. Lisa's my choice, and I choose to love my spouse. I choose to love her, and every day that's a decision. Every day that's something that we enter into uh, together, and we need to do the same with Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 tells us that Jesus is to be without rival in our lives. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And there should be a moment for us when we, when we enter into this Christian life, there should be a further moment when we say, Jesus, I surrender. I'm, I'm willing. I surrender to your authority. I surrender to your lordship. It's the choice of my will. But but I don't know about you. I'm like, the problem, you know, they say about the problem with living sacrifices? They get off the altar. That's me. That's the problem with the living sacrifice. And so many things stop us. We go, ah, oh, Jesus is going to ask me to do things I don't want to do. Jesus is going to take away, you know, my enjoyment of life. You know, that's not what the Word of God says. Those are lies that we buy. Jeremiah 29 11, Jeremiah said, for the Lord said through Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your good and not for your harm. Plans for a hope and a future. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, the word of God's telling me all the time that God's purposes towards me are good. They're for my benefit. They're for my blessing. And I have to trust God's plan that it's good. That he knows more than I do. So I do this. I enter into this relationship and I actively surrender my will. Okay, Jesus, you're the boss. You know, in the hub with the wheel, where does the, where does the power come from? The power, power comes from the hub. Power in the Christian life, power comes from surrendering to Jesus. We offer ourselves to God. Paul says we do this because this is spiritual worship. This is true worship. True worship's not singing songs. That's a wonderful part of worship. But true worship is to offer myself to the Lord. And the scripture says that's holy and acceptable. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he has, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Deny himself. You know, last year when we were in Kenya, Eli and I got to go to Kenya on that missions trip and looking forward to going back there. And um, we were in Nairobi and our driver was driving us through Nairobi. I can't remember. I think we were coming back into the city after being out in Katelia at the orphanage. And we drove by this big monument in the heart of the city and where there's this park. 
And the driver said, do you know what that is? Do you know what that? No, I have no idea what that is. He, he said, in 1963, when Kenya declared its independence as a, as a state, when it came out from under the, the British Empire, this is what happened. At that spot where that monument is, the British flag was lowered, and for the first time, the Kenyan flag was raised. It's like, that's a, that's a hugely significant spot for us where the British flag was lowered and the Kenyan flag went up. Now here's what surrender is. Surrender is for Matt, for you to lower your flag and to raise Christ's flag over your life. To say, Jesus, I'm not Lord. This is your empire. This is your kingdom. I raise your flag. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to look to you. And so this is a, a daily choice. This is significant because it's a continual action of my will to make Jesus the center. You know, for you, it's probably moment by moment. The outer rim, if we jump to the outer rim, which speaks of, it's also part of our voluntary act of surrendering our will to Jesus is, is our obedience to Christ. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Now again, power comes from where? On a wheel. The hub. Power comes from the hub, but this obedience is where the rubber meets the road. This is where Christianity, this is where your faith and your relationship with Jesus come into contact with the world, with your kids, with your workplace, with your neighbor that's driving you crazy. Whoever it is, maybe it's your spouse driving you crazy. This is where your Christian faith comes into contact with the world. And this is the part of our lives that, that, that people see Jesus reflected in us or not. You know, when you're obedient to Jesus, when you surrender your, your will to him and you're following the Spirit's leading, it shows in your outward lifestyle. It shows in the way you speak. It shows in the actions of your life. It shows in all the areas of your life. And people see the evidence that you're a Christian. You've had that happen, I'm sure. You know, oh, what is it about that person? You know, maybe in your workplace, maybe amongst the sporting community that you hang out or some of the hobbies that you do or with some of your family members. It's like, man, there is a clear, people recognize there's something different about you. Some of the acts of our will are like internal, like a surrendering to Jesus, like, like faith and taking captive my thoughts and thinking on Jesus, as the scripture says, the author and perfecter of our faith. Those are things that are internal, but some of the acts of my will have to do with things that are on the outside. What I value, what I spend my money on, how I, how I talk. And, and what happens is this is the internal guiding surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord works its way to the outside of our lives and people will see. And the proof of your love for God, the proof of surrender to him, is demonstrated by your obedience to him. Jeremiah 7.23 says this, But I gave them this command, Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in the ways that I command that it may go well with you. See, when we place our faith, church, in Jesus Christ as our Lord, 
He calls us to this. He calls us to a life of obedience. Before Jesus, I couldn't obey him. I couldn't. Before Jesus, you couldn't obey him. You were a slave. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to death. But then Jesus did this for you. You heard the message of the gospel and you received it and Jesus set you free. You were forgiven of sin. And Jesus came to live in you and the spirit of God began to dwell in you and the spirit of God empowered you to live a life that comes in line with the nature and the character of who Jesus is. What his word says. I got three kids. Love my kids. And I want to see them live for Jesus. And so I have a picture in my mind of what ki kind of kids I want them to be. You know, we're the children of God. And what kind of children does God want us to be? Well, the scripture tells us that he wants us to be obedient children. Obedient. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 and 13 says this, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord. See, God's desire is that his children, as his children, we would walk in his ways and we would obey his commands. Now, obedience is tough. We all still face the daily struggles of sin and temptation, choices of our will. Sin is disobedience. When you, when you sin, it's like taking your car and just driving off the road into the bush. And the Lord's given a means to like pull out the tow truck and get the car back on the road. We come to him and confess sin and ask for forgiveness and he does this. Yeah, I'll forgive you. Here's the tow truck of my forgiveness. The car's back on the road. Let's get going. Let's get back on track. See, obedience means this, that we must consider ourselves dead to sin and, and alive to God where sin was once our master and we obeyed sin and we obeyed sin's desires. Now we obey Jesus and we present ourselves to Jesus. We present our bodies to him, the scripture says, Romans chapter six. We present our bodies to him as instruments of righteousness. And so Jesus said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. So Jesus said this. Jesus said, you show God your love. You show Jesus your love for him by obeying him. That's not easy. Like I said, warfare, spiritual warfare, temptation, sin. I have a will of my own. I have my own desires. And it has to be surrendered. Jesus says this, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. And so that's a relationship with the will, Christ the center, and obedience to Christ. And I, I choose to make Jesus the center of my life. And I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life of obedience. It's a choice of my will. And so voluntary relationship to my will. My relationship to my will is twofold. Number one, I offer myself to God. Number two, I obey him. Then there's this vertical dimension. The bottom spoke is the word. 
It says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, where does the power come from? Where does it come from, church? The hub. It comes from the hub. And how is the power transferred to the outer rim of my life? It's transferred through the spoke. You want to have power to be obedient to Jesus? Because that's a hard thing. You want to have power to be obedient to Jesus? Then you have to be a man or you have to be a woman who loves the word of God. The word is the, the foundational spoke. That's why we're like, you know, we're not doing it this morning, but we're a verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Bible teaching church. The word spoke is the most crucial part of a balanced Christian life. The Bible shows us God's principles for life. God's, God's word through it, we learn to obey him. We, we learn increasingly uh, to see Jesus as worthy of our, of our surrender as worthy of our unconditional allegiance. Um, through the word of God, I learn. I got to fly Jesus' flag over my life. I mean, think about the word of God. The word of God's amazing. God's given us his word. It's not the word of men, the scripture tells us, but it's the word of God. Men spoke uh, words from God as the Holy Spirit gave utterance to them according to the wisdom given them. This is the most read book in the entire world, the Bible. Written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, yet it has one theme, one central character. His name is Jesus. I mean, we have great confidence in the word of God. You know, I, I say this regularly here. It's like one of the values that I believe we have as a church, that we love the written word of God because the written word leads us to the, the living word. The written word leads us to a living person, Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus said things about the word of God. He said to the Pharisees, he said, you know your problem? Your problem is this. You don't know the word of God. You've elevated tradition. You've elevated the, the rules of men and you've, you've put them above the word of God. When Jesus was challenged by people who were asking him questions, I would say insincere questions, he would say this. What does the word of God say? Jesus placed high priority on the scripture. And, and the word of God is our foundation. So we need to know the word of God. We, we, we need to know the word of God. And I don't mean just know here. We need to know the word of God. It needs to be hidden in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit uses the word of God. And he uses the word of God to accomplish the work of God in your life. And the word of God, it revives the soul. That's what the scripture says. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God makes us wise. The word of God brings joy to our hearts. Jeremiah said the word of God's like a fire. It consumes chaff and purifies. Jeremiah says the, the word of God is like a hammer. It will smash rocks to pieces. James said the word of God is like a mirror. It reflects your heart. It shows you what's in there and who, who God is. The gospel of Matthew tells us the word of God is like bread. It will nourish your spirit. Peter said it's like milk. By it, you grow in your salvation. All throughout scripture, we see God paints this picture of his word, that it's milk, that it's meat, that it's manna, 
That it's whatever you need, God can provide for you at that moment through his word. It's bread from heaven. And so as we grow in our hearts for discipleship, we have to grow in the word of God. We've got to be men and women who love the word of God. And the truth is this. I, I actually didn't say this last week. I was kicking myself because I thought about it afterwards. I was telling, you know what I didn't say? I didn't say this. You know, in the stages of spiritual growth, you'll never take anyone beyond where you are. Like if you live a life of spiritual infancy, guess what you're going to produce around you? Spiritual infants. If we can mature to being laborers, guess what we're going to produce? Others who will labor for the kingdom of God. I want to be a laborer for the kingdom of God. A disciple of Jesus. A good example in scripture is Ezra. In Ezra 7.10, Ezra said this. For Ezra, it says this, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. So number one, to set his heart to study God's word. To do it and to teach the statutes and rules in Israel. He wanted to know the word of God, he was going to do it, and then he was going to tell others about it. And the order is important because you cannot produce in others that which you are not doing yourself. So Christ is center. The power comes from Jesus, but Jesus moves power into my life through his word. Does that make sense? Power comes from Jesus, but power is transferred through the word of God. A second way that God transfers power in my life in this relationship with him is through prayer. Jesus said this, John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Jesus said, ask. Ask. Let's have a conversation. Talk to me. See, power comes from where? The hub. But as I pray and spend time in prayer, God moves power into my life so that I can grow in obedience in him, to him. He reveals his, his, his thoughts to me. This is the, the, the other vertical spoke that relates to our relationship with God. There's the word and, and then and then prayer. And, and my time in the scriptures, our times in the scriptures should lead naturally to a time of prayer where we talk with the Lord. We respond in, in prayer to God as he speaks to us through his word. And, and in prayer, we share our hearts. You say, God, man, you shared your heart with me through your word. Now, let me share my heart with you. This is what's going on. I'm concerned about this. I'm worried about this. And thank you. Thank you that you're sufficient for this. We share our heart with the one who longs to be the center of our lives. And prayer, I mean, we believe this. Prayer unleashes the power of God. Personal battles get won in prayer. Man, have you had that happen? You know, the cause of Christ can be furthered in this world through prayer. The word of God tells us in Jeremiah 33, 3, the Lord said, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Have you ever had God show you things in prayer that you didn't know? You have, you, you may not realize it, but I've had times where that's happened where it was like, I just seem to have this sense about this situation and then it's like bang on. I'm like, well, that's not for me. I'm not that smart. The Lord revealed something in prayer. I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, there was a time here in our church where we were dealing with a difficult situation with a person that was extremely challenging and the elder team was involved. 
so almost 10 years ago, and we were dealing with someone who was extremely manipulative, and they were trying to trap me. And I was here praying with two of the elders, and we said, they're recording our phone calls. We like all of a sudden knew in our hearts that our phone calls were being recorded. So we questioned, is this phone call being recorded? They said, yes, it is. And they hung up the phone. And that was the end of the issue. It was like, we didn't know. God revealed. We called on him and he showed us something that we wouldn't have known unless his spirit revealed it to us. See, the truth is, the Bible is our foundational spoke, but you can read the word of God and not really meet with God. It can be just an exercise of information. We don't want to just collect information. We want to meet with God. We want to be transformed. And so we need to be people of prayer. God talks to us through his word and, and then you and I respond to him in prayer and the result is communication and we're transformed by the power of God. You know, the Bible tells us we've received access. In prayer, we have access to God's throne. That it's a throne of grace. That it's a throne of mercy. That it's a throne that when you're in trouble, you can call on the name of the Lord and he will help you. Have you ever had that happen? God, I don't know what to do. And he gets you through whatever you're facing, whatever it is. Grace is unmerited favor. Lord said, my throne is a throne of grace. You can call on me and I will give you favor that's unmerited just because you said my name. I, I, I think of times where we've, we've prayed for the sick in our church. You know, we've, we've had those that we prayed for and they didn't get well and they went home to be with Jesus. And then we've had other situations where we've prayed and there was something miraculous that happened. Uh, unexplainable. Prayer transfers the power from the hub to the outer rim of my life. And, and, and the outcome, you know, in prayer, I would say this about prayer. In prayer, the outcome is not my responsibility. That's God's job. That belongs to him. My responsibility is to seek him. Your responsibility as a disciple is to seek him. Scripture says, pour out your hearts to God, for God is a refuge. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. And prayer moves power from the hub to the outer parts of our life. And we're to pray in, we're to pray in faith. Jesus said, if my words remain in, if, in you and you remain in me, ask whatever you wish and I'll do it. And so God has provided prayer as a way to communicate with him and he's provided prayer so that he can transfer power in our lives to help us. And so a time in the word, a time in prayer does this. You have your daily quiet time, something miraculous happens that can't be seen. Power is transferred into your life. Power moves. Then there's these horizontal dimensions of witnessing and fellowship. The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. And these two spokes here help us, show us how we relate to believers and how we relate to those who don't know Jesus. We have fellowship with a believer 
And we're looking to share faith with those who don't know Jesus. So fellowship says this in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what's awesome about following Jesus? Is that we have the privilege and the opportunity to have close, meaningful relationship with one another. Like the reason why this diverse group of people is together in one room is because of Jesus. You probably wouldn't like me otherwise. <laughs> or maybe the person sitting next to you, you might not like them otherwise or whatever. It's because of Jesus. And so we learn from one another. We, we spread encouragement. When we're together with those who love Jesus, we're together with like-minded believers. And there's a dynamic, a spiritual reinforcement that happens. I like always picture when the church comes together, it's like the army gathering. It's like there's those on the front lines and then reinforcements come. And, and we're together. But guess who that doesn't happen for? That doesn't happen for independent operators. Those who live a life of isolation from other believers. Fellowship is a spiritual discipline. You know what I always think about when I think about this is the epidemic of divorce. We know like in Canada, they say it's like 50% of marriages, whatever the number is. I didn't look up any recent things, but you know, generally the attitude is 50% of marriages end in divorce. And they said that the statistic was the same in the church until about a couple years ago, there was a, a really well done study. And the study corrected the statistic. And they said this, that in those who regularly attended church together, a husband and wife, the stat dropped from 50% to less than 10%. And, and I, I've said this over the years and I'm able to continue to say it that, um, you know, 13 years I've been at the church here and, you know, we've had couples that are associated with the church get divorced, but I would tell you this, I've never seen a couple that regularly attends and worships together get divorced in our church. Praise God for that. And what that tell, to me that tells me something about the importance of fellowship. That fellowship and attending church is a spiritual discipline. Maybe to be in a small group or to come on Wednesday night or to come to men's prayer or to go to one of the ladies' studies and be here together. Those are spiritual disciplines. And in fellowship, power moves. That's what that tells me. That there's a supernatural, I believe, I believe this, you guys, that there is like a supernatural protection over my marriage because Lisa and I worship Jesus. So Jesus is interested in us. He wants to protect that, that marriage and that relationship. Yeah. Jesus said this, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Man, that's beautiful. The promise of his presence. You see that so often in scripture, these characters would pray, you know, these, guys, these men and women that we love. Lord, okay, I'll go do it, but I'm not going unless you go with me. I got to have your presence. I think that's the greatest promise in scripture, the promise of God's presence. 
Whenever the Lord was getting hold of someone in scripture, he would tell them this. I'm with you. Just so you know, so we've got this squared away. I am with you. And Jesus said that for those who come together in his name, where two or three come together in my name, I am with you. The promise of his presence. That's power moving from the hub into our lives. The promise of his presence. Scripture tells us, forsake not. Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. And so when we come together, church, we're to love one another. Our church should be a place where people feel loved. This church should be a place where people feel welcome. I hope you feel welcomed here. You are welcome here. We're glad that you're here. This, this is a place where we want to we wanna love one another. And, and love is, is not just a word. It's supposed to be an action. The scripture says we're to bear one another's burdens. You know, if someone's here this morning and they have a burden and you talk with them, just stop and pray right there. Pray for the burden right there. In church, we're, we're to make sure that everyone's needs are met. Orphans, widows, foreigners. In, in church, we share ourselves. We build friendship. Our church is a family. You know, when I'm, a, when I'm away from here, and when some of you are away, boy, you're missed. And I miss being here. You know, in church, we can even confess our sins to one another. Isn't that amazing that that's what the scripture says? You even as a pastor, there's men in this church that I trust that I've confessed things to them that, that I wouldn't want to share with everybody. They've confessed things to me and then we pray together and there's like we experience forgiveness and relationships built and grows. It's beautiful. Those are some of the actions and benefits of fellowship. That's some of the, some of the power of God moving from the hub as we're surrendered to Jesus to the outer areas of our lives. And so this is why the scripture in, instructs us even, man, if there's broken relationship, work towards reconciliation. Fix it. Make forgiveness. Be forgiving to one another. Scripture says, if you're going to come to the Lord's table as we're going to do in a moment, make sure your heart's right with those around you. And so, you know, I would just say this. It's easy to get into the habit of not meeting together. And we, we have to give to one another and receive from one another as we come together in, in Jesus' name and in fellowship. Jesus moves power into our lives. Then there's witnessing. Paul said this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The witness spoke tells us and communicates to us how we relate to an unbeliever. See, witnessing, when we witness, power moves from Jesus into the outer areas of our life. If you've shared your faith, you know this has happened to you. In fact, Paul said in the book of Philemon, Philemon verse 6, he says, I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you may understand every good thing that you have in Christ. That means this, that you cannot understand everything you have in Jesus unless you're sharing your faith. And if you're sharing your faith, Jesus moves power into your life and then you have like revelations. God speaks to you. And so the witnessing spoke tells us how we're to relate to the unbeliever. And, and in witnessing, 
Power moves to, from the hub to the outer areas of our life. When a, when a person has a vibrant life with Jesus, prayer and, and fellowship and times in the word, it's natural. You're going to want to tell people what you got. Hey, man. I, I, yeah, I was reading the Bible today, actually, and this is what I read. You want to tell people about Jesus. When you have you know, devotional, a devotional life and extended times of prayer and you're wanting to be obedient, Jesus makes something about your life attractive to this world. He says, to some you'll be the fragrant of death and to others you will be the fragrance of life. You know, I, I for many years, worked outside, the, outside of our church and it was always fun in the workplace to see how God would touch and change relationships and what would happen with the, with the men I was working with and Sometimes you get those opportunities to share and then you go, wow, that was, that was awesome and it went pretty good. And other times you walk away from it, you're like, wow, I totally blew that. <laughs> Wish I'd said this. Oh, why didn't I say that? You know, when I think about witnessing, I think witnessing involves skill. And skill can be developed. We can become like a sharpened instrument in God's hand when, when we... Tra- when we get trained and we get experience. I tell you this, I'm not naturally an evangelist. Not, I don't think one fiber in me, actually. I, I miss way more opportunities than I'm like, oh, yeah, right, that was an opportunity. Sorry, Lord. But the scripture tells us, even if you're not an evangelist, you're to do the work of an evangelist. Remember uh, a while back on a... S- Nice spring morning, the church door was open and a young lady walked in and she had some stuff going on and she wanted to chat, looking for some counsel. I said, do you go to church? She goes, I do go to church, but it was a church that didn't teach the Bible. I said, have you asked Jesus into your heart and life? She said, I don't know how to do that. Thinking she goes to church. She says, her answer is, I don't know how to do that. So I said, can I show you some scriptures? And we went through some scriptures and I prayed with her to receive Jesus and it was like, awesome. I would tell you this, like you, I'm not naturally a fisher of men. But Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. You don't have to naturally be anything. Jesus is gonna make you a fisher of men. I love fishing. I love going out with the guys of our church and getting to go, fishing. Fishing takes skill. You have to have a plan. You have to go where the fish are. That's, that's, somebody should have told me that before. No. You got to go where the fish are. You got to figure out where the fish are. And fishing takes patience. And you have to practice methods. And you got to, you got to try different strategies to catch fish. You know, often when I'm fishing, I like my main strategy is I just begin to pray. Please, God, I'd like to go home with a fish today. <laughs> That's why I always come home with more fish than Darcy. <laughs> He's teaching the kids, so he didn't hear that. No, fish, look at fishing for people is the same, church. It takes skill. You have to have a plan. You have to go where the people are. You have to be patient. You got to try different methods and see what's successful. You have to pray, God, give me success. Sometimes Jesus says, throw the net on the other side of the boat. 
And so Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So we believe that as we follow Jesus, we will become more, more skilled and, and more successful at fishing. And, and witnessing, you know, I will say this, witnessing is not something that we merely do. We have to change our thinking about that. Witnessing is not something you do. Witnessing, a witness is something you are. Not something you do, it's something you are. We don't go witnessing, we are witnesses. And we want to keep improving as witnesses. And in witnessing, power moves from the hub to the outer part of my life. And so I think about this wheel, you can go to the next one, Calvin, kind of the comprehensive whole of it. It's like, you know, when you got a wheel, it's, if you're missing a spoke, that's not good. It's, you know, you're going to end up in the ditch, man. That wheel's going to break. It's not witnessing or fellowship. It's witnessing and fellowship. It's not either prayer or the intake of the word of God. No, a balanced Christian has to have all of these principles and ingredients in their life, and it's wise to pursue balance. And so for me, the reason why I share this with you is that for me, this is a good checklist. It's good for like evaluating my personal growth and balance. The wheel's a good checklist to help those who are around you and whom you're discipling so that they can grow. And so I did something this morning. I, I gave you, you got a handout there. You can pull it out. If you got a pen, you can even pull out a pen. And we're going to wrap here, okay? The bullseye of discipleship. And here's what I just thought I would give you this morning. About a, uh, it's a tool for a self-check, actually. That's what it is. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if you don't, if you don't have, yeah, you can grab a pen. If anybody needs one of these. What I'm going to ask you to do is just take a moment and to just think about your own life. And on there is just a, a W for the word, a P for prayer, an F for fellowship, and a W for witnessing. And um, you can just kind of say, you know, this is where I think I'm at, actually, with regards to the word or prayer. You, all of us are going to have different strengths and growth areas in our lives. But what I want you to do is just do this. Like, just take a moment, think about it, and give yourself a little self-check. And I'm going to ask you to do something else, okay? Where would you put your P? Are you close to hitting the center of the target? Or are you like way off? Where's, where's the, the word for you? Is it close to the center of the target? Or is it drifting towards the outside? Just a little bit of a chance to think about that. I'll give you a second to do that, okay? Actually, I'm going to invite the worship team to come while, they're, while you're doing that.